0: Shalom, happy festival season. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to uh, be during that season. Yeah. Some of us, some of us consider the entire uh, year a nice festival season with a few breaks for unfestivals. But uh,
1: <laughs> shalom is always in order, correct?
0: Shalom is always in order. Shalom was one of the first words that I learned in Hebrew, and we knew that it meant. Hello, goodbye, and peace, <laughs> and uh, and it always works well. Let let me introduce us to uh, our uh, audience. And my name is Guido Nariel. I am the uh, uh, CEO and co-founder of Root Source, which is an online platform for pro-Israel Christians and Jews to engage with each other. And uh, one of the numerous things that we do is hold conversations between Christian and Jewish leaders. And I'm speaking today with an old friend and a very important Christian leader. His name is Pastor Alan Latta of uh, Granbury, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right?
1: Yes, sir. I don't know about being important, but Granbury for sure.
0: Okay, we we try to get the, the facts straight over here. What is what is the name What is the name of the uh, community that you lead, sir? Uh,
1: generations Church. Generations uh, Church. Yeah, there are, we're non-denominational churches. Church, and some of those churches come and go, and we want to be a congregation that lasts. And God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and um, the generations to come. Uh, those genealogies that some people yawn at those are very important. <laughs> You
0: know, you, you know, if you if you uh, if you uh, in fact introduce him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is definitely a, a term that is used. That you're already building in the generations into into him, because he is the God of at least those three generations.
1: Yes, yes, and being the God of Jacob brings me great encouragement. <laughs> what, what, what what do you mean? God's grace to me was definitely revealed in Jacob. I mean, Abraham, uh, none of us are perfect, right? But Jacob at his worst, when he flees from his brother, has a visitation from God at night. We don't know that he was seeking God. He was just running for his life. Finds a stone for a pillow, has nothing but a stick. Right. Um, here comes this, these promises, the it's beautiful from heaven to earth and you know God speaking, encouraging him.
0: I'm, I'm very I'm very grateful for that uh, beautiful uh, thought that you just gave because obviously I, I reread the uh, story of Jacob every year and I did hear pretty much everything that you just said before. but the perspective that you gave it, it really, Really uh, g- gave me food for thought. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. It comes from, uh, we took 60 weeks and went uh, through Genesis verse by verse on Sundays. And uh, we love it. Wait, the- wait, wait.
0: When, you, when you say Genesis, do you mean the entire book of Genesis?
1: Yes, yes. We took it in segments, you know. Uh, some, some of those segments have been dramatized. So we would show the video dramatizing the story. And then we would look at the story. The thing we love about the Bible is it doesn't hide the flaws of its heroes.
0: That, that, you're, you're,
1: you're being nice. It really
0: puts them on the, on the spotlight often.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's the microscope. It zooms in. And then the telescope, it zooms out. And you just see the love of God for this man named Abraham. Uh, Abram at first. Yeah. So there's, there's hope for us. Go put our my, faith in them. My,
0: my, uh, my I, I uh, you, you know, we Jews, we don't, we don't pull punches often. So uh, I, I figure that the, the, um, the New Testament is the life and times of Jesus, pretty much. Okay. I, I, as much as a New Testament uh, expert as I am, of course, ha, ha, ha. But the, the Old Testament is the story of the Jewish people. You know that's the, that's the in biblical times, of course, and of course, I'm using the term Jewish uh widely. Um, but the, the subtitle is and how they never missed a chance to royally mess up, <laughs> <laughs> so really. And and when I when I read the Bible. Now, again, like you mentioned earlier, Abraham did not, uh, he was far from perfect, but he was the most perfect of every, anybody in the Bible, it seems.
1: Yeah. I, I think if God had chosen anyone, there would have been problems. And he did. God, God chose him, yes. <laughs> I think that God ultimately said,
0: listen, we tried to do with the entire human race with, Ab- with Adam, according to Jewish tradition. Tradu- According to Jewish tradition, it didn't take him 24 hours to really mess up. Yes. <laughs> and so after a few, de- after a few generations, he said, "Well, listen, we're going to try, we're going to try uh, just Noah," and that didn't work too well for a while. Then finally said, "You know what? We're going to do, we're going to do with Abraham." And it looked at that point, God pretty much said, "Listen, they're also messing up. What? I'm going to keep on making new decisions. Let's just go with Abraham and see what happens." <laughs> And 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 Abraham, Abraham, I, as as a as a uh, a son of Abraham and as a student of Abraham, uh, and and frankly, I'm I'm a as a tenant of Abraham. I I live here in Hebron where Abraham lived. Yes. Um, but I I I I think that Abra, Abraham tried to his main goal, his main mandate. Was to spread the the word, the knowledge of the one true God, the Creator, and the uh, how do you say it in English? The, the one who's in charge all the time, the God of history, and and the God that in, impacts and in, interrupts and interferes history. He didn't. He didn't just. First of all, he he certainly created the world, which non-believers. Don't believe that, that there is a God who created the world. So we believe that God created the world. And we believe that God didn't just create the world and then go off to play to bowl or something like that. God is involved with history. Yes. It, it, there's a, there's a, a Jewish tradition that, that uh, I'm, I'm not going to get it exactly right in English, but that every blade of grass, God is, is pointing a finger at and saying, grow. So God is very much involved with with the world, and that is what, and that, and that, and of course, that God is a, can be a personal God as much as you are willing to bring God into your life. God is willing to be in your life. That's that's the way I see things, and that is for all all mankind. So, so the fact that that is what Abraham, what his, what his entire entity was. That is uh, that, that's good enough for me. Everything else from there, it's all. I don't say it's all downhill from all uh, from there, but uh, if we if we stick with Abraham, we're doing okay. Tom, uh, I, I'm I'm going along over the place a little bit too
1: much. Where were we? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, my takeaway from Genesis is the subject of faith itself. It does not depend on the longevity of a person's lifespan to be fulfilled. So when Abraham died, he only owned one piece of property, and he had to buy it. Yet God promised him all this land. So he died believing in the promises. The promises were going to be fulfilled generationally. So that's... Not not only for the land, but also for the seed. Yes. And and now,
0: even though um, people who pay attention when they read, he saw that Abraham uh, was the father of of a number of, uh, of named people in the Bible. Yes. Uh, but uh, those, those were people that uh, didn't, didn't make it much further than that chapter in the Bible, at least as far as Jewish tradition is concerned. But as far as God's promise, he said, haki in, in, in Isaac, will you be called seed or whatever, however you're tra- translated. So, Again, from a Jewish perspective, all the other ones are are barely asterisks, which is really not fair. I mean, if somebody grows up in Abraham's house and they're actually their, their child, that's a pretty serious thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't just push it off like that as the way it really is happening. But but from our perspective, at least the way that we see the story, he, is, um, he only had his one son, and I... I Again, you have to read between the lines a little bit to see how long Abraham lived after he gave birth to Isaac. Again, I don't have, I don't, I don't remember this offhand right now, but I think I'm pretty sure. Listen, if he was, I think he was uh, 75 when he moved to Israel. He was 100 when he gave birth to Isaac. right? Right? I think that Isaac was 60 when he gave birth. To to Jacob and to Esau. So that means that Abraham, maybe I'm off by a year, was 160 when I when when Jacob was born. And so he lived until he was until he was fifteen years old. Fifteen years old. That's already, you know, he's already he's got a brain of his own. So that's that's fascinating. So but even then he only saw his grandson. He didn't see the twelve tribes yet. He certainly didn't see the full generation. So like you're saying, there was a lot of faith going on over there with Abraham.
1: Yeah. I, I know Isaac is the one to whom the promises were made, but in making the promise to Abraham, he's promised a land and promised a people. And uh, he did have eight children. I mean, after Sarah passed, he married Keturah and she bore him six, right? Were they all sons or was there a girl in there?
0: Uh Again, Thank as far as know. I remember, they're all sons. If if there would have been
1: more girls, then we probably would have heard of them because there aren't too many of them in the Bible. So, <laughs> if, if it wasn't for the promise made to the seed, Isaac, one could say that all of Abraham's descendants live in the land that was promised him, right? Yeah. So, Phil and Keturah descendants. Again, the the Bible. Again, I'm
0: I'm quoting that which was uh was was emphasized to me, and that is to the. Sons of the concubines, not sure where it is offhand, he gave gifts. That that that's the that is the um the actual verse. Let me let me see if I can possibly find it quickly over here. One second. It's the end of Khayasara. One second. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in the beginning of chapter 25. I'm reading from the Hebrew Bible, and Abraham uh, added on and took as a wife took a wife named Keturah. Okay, I do, I do, I do believe that Jewish tradition. I don't know if it's the Jewish tradition or one Jewish tradition that Keturah is actually Hagar. He came and he took back Hagar, or how we pronounce it in English. But that's neither here nor there. And, 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 and Keturah gave birth to Zimran and Yokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and uh, Shuach. Zimran, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, that's six. And Yokshan gave birth to Sheva and Dedan and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim and Lutushim and Lumim, which are either personal names or names of tribes because they end with a plural. You know, like as it were, the Asherites, the Latushites, and the Laumites, or something like that. And also Bnei Bidyan, and and Midyan also had children. They were Eifa, and Efer, and Hanoch, and Avida, and Elda'ah. All all of these were the sons of Keturah. But the next verse, verse 5, and Abraham gave everything that he had to Isaac. (laughs) And to the sons of the concubines that Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts. And he sent them away from uh, Isaac, his son, while he was still alive. I'm not sure if while Isaac was still alive, while Abraham was still alive. I guess while Abraham was still alive. Uh, Eastern, towards the land of the east, or something like that. And then... And that's it. And then uh, that was the end. Uh, Abraham lived uh, 175 years, and he died. So those are the two verses that say, even though you have these names that you can, that you can barely pronounce, and you only read them once a year, and only and if, if, if you don't uh, blink. But as you say, these were, these were his, uh, his uh, children also, and, and his generations. But the, the one that counts specifically, verse 5 over there, is Isaac.
1: Yes. So, But verse 6 brings a question to mind, concubines, plural. Is this Hagar and Keturah or are these other women? E- excellent,
0: excellent question. E- e- in light of what I just mentioned, that according to the Jewish tradition that I remember, Keturah is Hagar. So why Uh uh, are the, uh, why is it concubines? And if it is, e- even if Hagar and Keturah are not the same person, then maybe there were more concubines. Okay. Let me let me share quickly a very important site, a website, if you're not, whether or not you're familiar with it. One second. There we go. One second. Let me share my screen. It's called sepharia.org. They, they're good at not uh, being able to, uh, tra- uh, pronounce that it Sepharia, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, this is in Hebrew, but it's also in English. Let me—is this the way I'm going to find it? Yeah, let's get let's get it in English. I, I am not signed up here, but that's okay. But as you can see, it in English in a moment. Man, you're high tech.
1: Yeah, hey, you got to do it nowadays. What can you <laughs> do?
0: So. So if we go to Tanakh, which is the Torah the prophets, the writings, and we go to Genesis. What what I closed my book. What what
1: chapter is that? Where we were at is yeah. uh, 25, twenty five twenty-five verse okay. six. So Abraham, as we said, he took another
0: wife, to Rah, Zimran, Yoksha, Nishbach, etc. Letushim Rumi. As you can say, they translate it. The descendants of the Dan were the Asherim, the Latushim, and the Lumim, as opposed to names. It's not very clear to me. Abraham, okay, but to Abraham, Abraham's sons by concubines, he gave gifts. So now on this site, if you click on that verse, it brings up resources, Jewish resources, and notice the related texts over here. You see that word, commentary? Yes, sir. Notice how many commentaries there are on that verse alone. Okay. 75. Wow. We won't do all of them today. Anyway, uh, let's see what Rashi, the most important person, said. The word is is written without one of the Yud, whatever. He only had one, it says. In other words, I guess Rashi is saying that the word is read, the happy like Shim, which means the concubines. But if there's missing one letter, you could also pronounce it hapil like Shah, maybe his concubine or something like that. So according to Rashi, there's only one. So there's there's one one answer. Let's see if uh, Ibn Ezra says anything else. Nope. Um, let's see if we select the word concubines, maybe we can. No, we can't. Um. Let's see if Sforno says something interesting. Nope. That's all I got at this point.
1: Okay. so Maybe there are more.
0: But that's the site that I highly recommend to, to check out.
1: Just to get some things. Okay. All right. Well, can we jump subjects? Absolutely. Okay, Christians are all excited about the rebuilding of the temple. The temple is going to be rebuilt in the same place and all that. Here's the question that always comes to mind: the tabernacle was built by Moses per instructions. An audible voice, however, God chose to give it to them. Exact dimensions and everything. What is to keep Israel from at least doing that, establishing the tabernacle till the mountain becomes available? Through conquering or miraculous intervention, uh, go back to Shiloh, or uh, if Shiloh was a place that was was assigned by God, why isn't that happening? Anyway, that's just my question.
0: That's a great question. Um, Sometimes I know an answer off the top of my head. Sometimes I even know quickly to find the the source of it. Yeah. And sometimes I say, "Give me a second, look over there for a second while I Google." But um, this answer is again. Off the top of my head, I don't remember the source. But according to Jewish tradition, once, again, the Bible itself says, the place that I will choose, where God will, cho- will choose. It says that in the, in the, in the Torah, in the, in the, probably in, in, in um, Numbers or, 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 or uh, Leviticus, probably in Leviticus. And I think in the book of Deuteronomy numerous times, it says, in the place that I shall choose. And that place was never chosen until Jerusalem. And when it was chosen, then that's it. No going back. No more tabernacles, no more temporary Shiloh or Gilgal or anything like that. Yes. And that's, that's the answer. Now, what we do have is Mikdash Me'at, a small temple, which we, again, when I say modern Jews, i.e. About two, for the last 2,000 years or so, we're talking about synagogues being a surrogate for services. But God forbid that that should take the place of the temple for which there is only one spot ever since David revealed it.
1: Okay, well, that, that, ex- that answers my second question before I even asked it. And that was related to what we call David's Tabernacle. He wasn't allowed to build the temple uh, because of all the battles he'd been in. So, on a place, I think it may be called Mount Zion, I'm not sure. um, He set up a tent, put the Ark of the Covenant in there, and there was a season of, I think, years of 24 7 worship. Does this ring any bells? Not not enough. When he recovered the ark, he didn't take it back to Shiloh where the tabernacle was. He took it to Jerusalem. Right. And set up this temple, this tent until the temple would be built by his son. So, uh, but what you said by the synagogues being the intermediate location, then, okay.
0: The the synagogues are not the intermediate location. Synagogues are a surrogate location. Okay. for doing a different kind of service. God forbid that we should do a temple, a mikdash, temple service in our synagogues all over the world. Okay. Those are, are the, the temples, the, today's synagogues, are a place for congregating and for praying. But the, the temple was a place for service. Uh, a, a sacrificial service, primarily. Okay. And and we do not give. We cannot. Ever since that started in the uh, in the temple in Jerusalem, we cannot give. We're not allowed to give a, a holy sacrifices anywhere but there. And if we are unable, in case, for for whatever reason, unable to do it, then we can't do it, and we're waiting for this temporary low in our uh, history to be able to go back and and do the services which we were
1: commanded forever about okay well my next question relates to the talmud and the temple if these things i've read are true so explanation i i'm not really asking for that but did these things really happen has to do with the last 40 years of the existence of the temple Was It's three things I'm curious about. Was there problems with one of the lights in the menorah for 40 years? Did the temple doors come open every night? They would lock them. Did they come open every morning? They would come in and the the doors would be wide open for 40 years. And then um, the uh, ark was already gone. So a sign that uh, their sins had been atoned for that year, was in a scarlet cord turning white that was on the temple doors and the priest pulling the right object out of the bag. There was two objects in a bag, pulling the right one out, the sign that God forgave. So what I read for 40 years, and I read the explanation was because the priesthood was so corrupt at, at that time. But for 40 years, this, the scarlet cord never turned white and the priest never pulled the right stone out of the bag, and the temple doors never stayed closed. That was a daily thing, whereas the other was annual. Have you read anything like that in the temple? The the thing about the temple doors, I don't remember that. Okay. And
0: um, the last thing that you mentioned about uh, the high priest uh, putting his hand into a bag, I think what you're talking about over there is the goral, I think it's called in Hebrew. Um, which is like a lottery. And yeah. what, what, what there was, was the high priest had the, we actually just read about it yesterday. Today's the day after Yom Kippur, the yeah. uh, Day of Atonement, in its translation to English. Uh, we read the service of Yom Kippur on Yom Kippur. That's what we do every year. And over there, it talks about the two goats, one goat for sacrificing to God, and an, an identical goat, uh, another goat that is used for Azazel. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I saw an article that I wanted to read and never got around to it. Uh, what is Azazel? Is it a place or is it is it? Uh, I don't know what it is, but anyway, these that was it. One of these goats would be uh, sacrificed to God. The other would be sent out in the in the desert uh, to a place not far from Maale Dumin, where I used to live, and it would be pushed over a uh, a cliff there. And a scapegoat. A scapegoat. Yes, it's it's uh, it's uh, used for that uh, that term, and that and and uh, the the sins of the Jewish people, I think, were put on that. Again, you're catching me where I should know more about this, though.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so so. The I think that the, the 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 horns of the goat had that scarlet uh, thread on it, and that's what turned white. And when it turned white, then everybody said, ah great, it turned white, our sins are forgiven. And that, again, the, these last 40 years that you mentioned, I don't remember those exact that exact number. I do believe that what you're talking about is in the Talmud. Yeah.
1: Uh and you know, what so, I read was was that cord that was tied to the goat's horn was cut, and the hat, the piece that was cut off, was tied to the temple door. And I don't know the time period, but over a process of time, it would turn white. Well, look, and it what, stopped get, turning get, white for forty years. Anyway,
0: get, give me a it. second and see if I can if I can uh, find this. Uh, um let's see. Uh, what we've got over here, one second. Here, let me like share my screen so you can see what I'm doing over here. OK, so I, did, I used Google. I searched for this uh, uh, red thread or red whatever. And this is a source that is taking a long time to load. So let's see if I can find something else that uh, might be helpful. What is this? Maybe that's interesting. Okay, something came up
1: over here. One second. No, no, no. That's not. That's not helping quickly enough.
0: And these guys aren't loading. So uh, I guess today is not.
1: Today is not the day that we're going to uh, find the source of that. What can I tell you? <laughs> it's okay. We can check it out another time. Anyway, that those were my other questions. So.
0: Uh, the, the uh, those, those last 40 years of the uh, of the second temple, yes, and uh, as I as I opened up our conversation, like the Bible is uh, the story of the Jewish people and how royally they messed up, but uh, but even though the Bible ends around 560 something BC. Uh, we didn't do such a good job for the past 2,500 years either. <laughs> and uh, especially in the time of towards the end of the second temple, as you mentioned, that the, uh, the uh, high priesthood was very corrupt. And, uh, and ultimately, the temple was destroyed. Now, it's a little bit hard. There's, there's a cognitive dissonance going on. Amongst the Jews. Because on the one hand, we love to think, just like Abraham was, pardon the expression, perfect. We've talked about how he wasn't perfect. But we try to, to, to I, idealize all of the, all of the, the, the heroes of the, of the Bible and all of the heroes of, of post-biblical Jewish um, uh, sources up even till today, yeah. many, many Jews love to idealize their current leaders. I'm not talking about Israeli political leaders, I'm talking about great rabbis. Oh, rabbi, great. Later. But uh, on the other hand, we know, according to our tradition, that the temples were destroyed because of the Jewish people's. Uh, bad behavior use that terminology the first temple I'm, I'm now quoting translating famous quote uh, of Jewish tradition why were the temples destroyed the first temple was destroyed because of the because of the rampant sins of the three worst sins in Jewish tradition that would be um, murder. Um, a, a pagan worship and a, 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 a improper sexual relations. These are the three sins, all the other sins that, and you know, where there are 613 commandments. If there's any commandment that I'm supposed to be doing, but I might die if I do it, let's say that somebody is putting a gun to my head and saying, either eat this uh, cheeseburger or I'll kill you. Then you're supposed to eat the cheeseburger and not and not be killed. <laughs> and I know that there are some restaurants that you, you'd rather be killed than eat those cheeseburgers. But uh, <laughs> anyway,
1: <laughs> the cheeseburger uh, is meat with dairy, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. And then according according to the Jewish understanding of the verse that is repeated three times, do not. I think the the the, transl- the famous translation do not seethe a kid in its mother's milk. Don't cook. An animal in its mother's milk. So we understand since it's repeated three times, we understand that that uh, eating any kind of cooked meat with milk is a big no-no. But it's not nearly as big a a no-no as murdering somebody. So if somebody tells you either either eat this cheeseburger or I'll kill you, then you say, "Okay, God, what am I? Why's it kill me? Better I should I should." go against one of your commandments today and again, only because I was commanded to stay alive. I have to keep my life. So that's it. But one of these three big sins, I should stand strong and say, no, if you're going to kill me, if I don't kill that other person, then, then go ahead and kill me. I have, to, I have to die on the sanctification of God's name. That's, that's the source. So those were the three big sins that they did during the first Temple period. And they kept on doing it, especially, of course, all throughout the Bible. It's um, talk how much they were worshiping idols. Until finally God said, I-, "I can't stand this anymore and he destroyed the temple because of that. But, be- but-, but he brought the Jewish people back if they would only have come back bigger, but enough of them came back to, to rebuild the temple, the second temple, and it became... The, um, the the Israel the, the, the geographically Israel-based um, community, ultimately a, a country, that brought about the Jewish Commonwealth, if that's the right word, that was around during the, during the Second Temple period, the whole Second Temple period, which was 400 years, or maybe 450, 60, I don't remember, and of course during the time of the, 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 New, Te- the New Testament. The entire New Testament's milieu and background and setting was the Second Temple period. But as you mentioned, the end of the Second Temple period, when things were already going pretty, pretty bad for the Jewish people. But the, the sages say, the Jewish tradition says, that during the time of the end of the Second Temple period, they, they weren't worshiping idols. According to Jewish tradition, the the, uh, the the existential pull to worship pagans and idols d- dissipated after the end of the second of the first temple. Okay. So they weren't worshiping idols. They weren't really killing each other so much either, and they weren't having uh, illicit sexual relations. So why was the temple destroyed? What what was so bad? Why what was their great sin? The great sin was reasonless hatred between Jews and their fellow Jews. And that is exactly what we saw in the Second Temple. How did we see it? Because of the numerous um, sects that the Jewish people had divvied themselves up into, that everybody's heard of. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the Odensees and all the ABCs, the, the, the ones down there by the by the Dead Sea, the Essenes, the Essenes, or whatever how you pronounce it. Yeah. Pardon me, the the Nazarenes, the followers of Jesus. Now I'm not I'm not I'm not saying any one of them was the was the worst one. And there were worse ones. There were the zealots. Yeah, You've heard of this stuff. But the very fact that they just couldn't get together was was too much for God to, to take. And that was a sin that kept us. In exile for two thousand years.
1: Yes. Yeah. Now, weren't the so, priests, weren't the priests corrupt with politics?
0: Well, yeah, yeah. And again, from my perspective, and others might argue that, and I'm certainly not going to get up on a on a podium and and try to argue it. That the priests were primarily uh, Sadducees. They 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 and they were the higher echelon. They got enough money from the. From the coffers of the temple, and they made sure to keep it to themselves. The the um, that's the Sadducees. It's the, uh, the um so it came in the 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 prushim, the Pharisees. The word Pharisees comes from the Hebrew word prushim. Prushim means separated. They separated themselves from those Sadducees. The Sadducees comes from the Hebrew word sadok, which was who was the name sadok zadok. Who was the name of a high priest, and so his family made sure to, to keep the power close to them, and the 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 um, uh, Prushim were more a, uh, a not national but more every your your layman's, um, party, if you will. So they, they preferred that, and ultimately the the wise people, the 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 the, 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 the sages. For the most part, if not prime, uh, if not completely exclusively, came from those uh, um, Pharisees. And uh, again, I'm not talking about the famous Pharisees that uh, the, the new, that people understand in the New Testament. I am talking about them, but I'm not talking about them from that perspective. From from uh, from the Jewish people's perspective, the Pharisees were the ones who ultimately. Became the the rabbinic Jews, and, and that's who we are. So they're our heroes, and the all of the all of the the hundreds, thousands of of uh, um, sages that are mentioned in the Talmud that you mentioned before. There were all these uh, Pharisees, but they didn't talk about it so much. That isn't what we talked about in the Talmud. The Talmud is about seven thousand pages, depending on the count, on fifteen thousand pages. They mostly aren't talking about the historical situation of the time of Jesus. They they, they talk about that maybe for a, a few a handful of pages. What mostly we're talking about is our tremendous tradition of of a, a study and and and, uh, and 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 commentaries on the Bible and how to understand the Bible better. And that's what you think about mostly for them, but. But the fact is, is that it fascinates me more to hear about what was going on in those times. On the one hand, all of these, all of these uh, sages, these rabbinic sages, these <laughs> Pharisee sages—they're my heroes. On the other hand, they were just as much involved with all this terrible infighting as everybody else. So it's. Uh, it's a topic that's uncomfortable to talk about and something that maybe one day I'll go back and get a, a degree in, in uh, second temple history, but it's fascinating to me that whole that time. And, uh, and that, that's really the connection between the most important time in Jewish history, I think, and, and obviously the most important time in Christian history. It's the same period, it's the same 30 or, or 30 or 70 years. It's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, so the first temple was destroyed for the reasons you gave. Uh, were those things corrected when they rebuilt the second temple? That being the case, if do the same problems exist of division today? Then <laughs> to the division God will allow the building of the third one, if there is going to be one. That's absolutely right. Again, the, the three bad sins are uh,
0: um, murder, murder, uh, pagan worship and illicit sexual relations and the tradition is that they that they were uh, that they disappeared or, or we had a handle on them by the time the second temple uh, came around the the reason that the second temple was destroyed was because of the jews not being able to get along <laughs> to, to make it very very easy and those first sins god pretty much forgave de facto after a mere 70 years. We came back and built the second temple. So if you destroy the temple because of them and then you let the temple be rebuilt, I guess that means you forgave them. But how long did it take for God to forgive our inability to get along with each other? About 2,000 years. Right now we are living in a time where we're, we're a month before elections here in Israel. Believe me meaningless reasonless uh, hatred amongst Jews has not disappeared off the page this year <laughs> <laughs> if you have election if you're a democratic country or you are in elections you know exactly what I'm talking about <laughs> yes. how, how many parties does Israel have too many we oh, were yeah. a multi' we're a multi-party system yes so in uh, any case I believe that and this was this was a uh, Subject of discussion in the time of the, of the Talmud. How is this exile going to end? Is God going to bring about a total redemption because we are deserving? Or is he going to bring about this total redemption because time's up? And even though you guys aren't deserving, i got to bring redemption.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And, uh, again, I studied this stuff about 35 years ago. It's been a while since I've, re- since I've uh, reviewed it, and I'm not even sure what I read back then. I believe that we are now living in a time of the redemption, time of the final redemption. I think that the, that the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel against all odds, according to biblical prophecy, is beyond all argument. The fact that there are more... Think about it. When the, when the first Jewish people were exiled, when, they, when the first exile, 586 BC or something like that, okay. uh, I don't know how many millions or hundreds of thousands left. Barely 50,000 came back. The rest stayed abroad. Ultimately, from those 50,000, that are mentioned in the Bible, that almost by name in, in the books of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, um, they ultimately created what, what, what became the Jewish people. The, 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 uh, the, the Jews who stayed back in Babylon, they, they pretty much dissipated. I, again, according to my not very scholarly uh, historical understanding. But today, after 2,000 years we're at the mere, and, and what took uh, 70, maybe 100, and depending on how you count, probably probably 120 years. We're 120 years since the beginning of the Zionist movement. In, in, uh, in 1860, in 1880, there were 60,000 Jews living in the land of Israel. There were Jews living here all the time, don't, don't get me wrong. But then there were about 60,000. 50 years later, in, uh, in 1948, there were 600,000, 10 times as many in 50 years. Okay. And I keep on saying this, even though we're now over 70 years, but 50 years later, in 2000 or so, there were 6 million Jews in Israel. Another 10 times as much. So within 100 years, 100 times. What does that mean? 10,000% huh? we grew. Wow. And we just keep on growing. We're growing with eter- internal uh, immigration, if you will. Uh, Jewish, Jewish um, people being born—I I forget the right word for it. It's, it's the only place in the world that we there are more people, there are more Jews being born than are dying, and not to mention that are assimilating. If somebody says, "Hey, I'm not a Jew anymore," I'm moving to uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, there's no Jews over there, and nobody will know that I'm Jewish, and I'm going to marry a non-Jew, and, and my kids won't well know that I was Jewish, so how can you say that that person is still Jewish? Of course not. So that's happening at a rate of 70% around the world. 70% of Jews, if they're marrying at all, they're marrying non-Jews, and they're joining a church. So, so, that's, so that doesn't bode well for the Jewish people outside of the land of Israel. Inside the land of Israel, it's close to 100 percent that you're gonna marry a Jewish person, and then you're gonna have more than the average of 2.1 children or something like that. The average number of children being born in Israel, I think, is three or four per family, not to mention the ultra-orthodox that are having 10, 11, and 15, and 18. So, uh, so we're we're way up on top of that. So, and all of these these are these total miracles within. I think that already we've got a majority of Jews here in Israel. But for various reasons, people are afraid to say that. But certainly within 20, 30 years, we're going to have an absolute majority here in Israel. But before that, who knows what's going to happen already today? You have more Torah being studied in the land of Israel than anywhere ever for the past 2,000 years all put together. It's tremendous for, for the people who value Torah study. Bible study, more than anything else, just that. And by the way, the the state of Israel with its tax money is funding much of that Torah study. In the yeshiva that I studied, I studied in the yeshiva for about eight years that was funded by the Ministry of Defense because it was an army yeshiva. Can you imagine? I went to the military and I spent six years in the yeshiva funded by the military and another year and a half in the military so where you we have nothing like that all over the world so it's it's there's just tremendous so anyway I believe that we are in the time of of the redemption we are in the messianic age ah so what, what's what's gonna happen how long is this messianic age gonna last I don't know all I can do is Look backwards and say, I recognize this as part, as as a very clear part of biblical prophecies and promises. And I I find myself to be tremendously uh, privileged to live in this period. And that is why I chose, again, I chose it when I was young. I didn't know all of this, but I think I knew enough to say, wow, the Bible talks about Jewish people coming back to Israel I want to come back to Israel, so I made, I moved to Israel when I was like 14, and I was in high school over here, and then the military and the yeshiva, and now I'm raising my family. I have five children, all of them were born in Israel. Three of them are married and have children themselves. Of course, all of them were born in Israel, and so we're uh, we're doing it. And, and and my Christian friends, many of them are fascinated by this. By this uh, promise that God fulfilled, because they say if, if God fulfills his promise to this people that were downtrodden for 2,000 years and everybody thought, as it says in the, uh, in the, uh, in the prophecy of the dead bones, of the dry bones, that that's it. where Our bones are dry. There's nothing left. There's no way that we're going to come back. And that's what it looked like for 2,000 years. Yeah. And here, within the past seven years, blossoming, absolute blossoming, in every, in every way, shape, and form. So my Christian friends say if God fulfilled that promise, then he'll fulfill, he'll fulfill, he'll fulfill the promises that he promises, promised me as a Christian as well. And
1: that's what my Christian friends are saying. I'll buy that. Blossoming in the midst of opposition. <laughs> right.
0: Right. And... Uh, we know what's going to happen to these oppos- oppositions, opposition heirs when, uh, when God decides okay, this is it, last scene <laughs> The people who are on the right side of God will be on the right side the people who aren't on the right side, well, I don't want to be with them. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm on the right side
1: Well, thank you for your time and your spontaneity <laughs> I told you I wouldn't need the, uh, the questions. What time is it there right now? It's about quarter to 9 p.m. Okay, so we're not keeping you up too late.
0: Not at all, not at all. Um, I'd like just to take this opportunity to remind you that we're recording this around um, uh, October 5th, 6th or something like that. On November 9th, uh, in about a month, we're coming up to the date of Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. In 1938, on November 9th, 1938, uh, the Nazis and their henchmen uh, went on a pogrom in Germany and destroyed hundreds of synagogues, killed over a hundred Jews, and and uh, and sent thirty thousand to concentration camps. This was before the Holocaust, and it was the beginning of the Holocaust. Right. And uh, here in Israel, uh, somebody came up with the idea. Wow, if the Nazis tried to turn the lights off in synagogues on Kristallnacht, then we are going to keep the lights on in our synagogues today to, sh- to give it to those Nazis and say, you tried to keep turn the lights off? We're going to show you our lights are on. I heard about this last year, and thank God there are hundreds of synagogues all over the world that are doing that. But uh, together with... Some of my Christian friends, mostly because of my Christian friends, we are sponsoring a program called Light Up the Church where Christians are standing with their Jewish brethren and saying we will also keep the lights on in our churches on November 9, 2022, to show that we stand with the Jewish people to this day. So the website is called Light Up the Church. Let me uh, bring up the home page there, just one second, and show it to you over here. LightUpTheChurch.org. LightUpTheChurch.org. And you can go to uh, to that website, LightUpTheChurch, all one word, dot org. By now, I think that if you Google Light Up the Church, you'll find the right website. And uh, down here, there's a place where you can stand up and uh, say that your church is going, your church or your organization, even or, or your business. There were hundreds of Jewish businesses that were, that were destroyed that night. So if you are an owner of a, of, a, of a business and you're a Christian, then you can keep the lights on in your business that night as well. Or your own home. Whatever you want to do, this is the first year that we're doing it. For, with Christians and we hope that uh, it will be a good start.
1: Keep the lights on. That's a good idea. Abraham's children were called to be a light to the nations. so it was it's the enemy's intent to turn that light off. That's right. He has tried it for centuries uh, from Pharaoh's days and moving forward. yeah. years ago, I think uh, 14 years ago in 2008 we went to Berlin. And went to the very synagogue where this thing officially erupted and wow. learned all about Kristallnacht. Wow. Amazing uh, presentation they have there at the large synagogue. Across the street from it is amazing uh, vegetarian restaurant, So everything is kosher in there. <laughs> it was great. So after experiencing that and being somewhat drained, we got replenished across the street. So that's when I first heard of Kristallnacht. I had not heard of it before started with the night of turning the lights off, broken glass.
0: So I I hope that I I will be able to help other people find out about this uh, very important uh, thing in Jewish uh, and non-Jewish history. Yes. Okay, my friend, this has been a pleasure. I hope that you will be able to find time to uh, have another uh, meeting like this. Okay. And I hope that you will be able to consider... Part, your church participating in, uh, in the Night of Broken Glass and Kristallnacht and lightupthechurch.org.
1: And uh, we will be in touch. Yes. Well, we leave the lights on every night. Who knew we were set up? It <laughs> <laughs> can't get much easier than that. <laughs> I do hope that we will be able to provide
0: some sort of uh, suggestion for people to uh, share. With their congregations about this, and not just uh, the uh, the the guy in charge of the physical plan, just, yeah, the, just the life of it.
1: <laughs> Yes, that's good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Let's do this again.